Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Stacy, Sarah, and Brooke, and we are going to talk about adaptations, so things that started out as books and became movies or TV shows. Yay! Yes, so there are a lot of these. Um, <clears throat> like, some of them that we're looking forward to aren't even out yet, and we'll talk about that in a second, but... Um, these are things that we like that we have either read and seen the adaptation of or kind of are aware that there's an adaptation and perhaps we you know, would, would wish to see it at some point. So before we dive in here, though, I have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. Um, we also post every week what we're reading on the Book Bistro Facebook page. So definitely check that out and come and chat with us about what you're reading as well. You can send us an email if you just want to get a hold of us um, outside of social media. And that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And lastly, if you're looking to find us on the internet, you can do that at https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash book hyphen bistro. Okay, so before we actually do kind of a deeper dive into the books that we've chosen for the episode, we have to give a few sort of honorable mentions to series or just individual books, I guess, as well, that are coming out as movies, like, in the near future. So I am super excited because Julia Quinn's iconic Bridgerton series is coming to Netflix sometime in 2020, and Julie Andrews is Yay! the voice <laughs> of the spectacular Lady Whistledown, and I love these books so, so much. They are, like, such fantastic historical romances, British historicals, and I just, I want this family to come to Netflix so that people who perhaps don't read a lot of romance can discover them and fall in love with them. They are so, so great. So this is on my, like, wish list of things to watch for 2020. And then also coming to Netflix, I think Netflix is doing a whole... Um... I feel like I read an article that they're going to do um, a bunch of different series based on um, different romance series. And so they're doing Robin Carr's Virgin River series as well. And I think that would make a nice, um, I think it'd make a nice show. So I'm excited about that one. Too. Yes. I've never read those. I've always like looked at the synopses and been like, okay, like I wonder if these are good. Um, so I might have to read one like just, they're a little on the sappy end of the spectrum, but I really enjoy them sometimes. Like they're like a comfort read. It's like a small town romance where, you know, um, all the, all the books are sort of like 
all the characters are intertwined in some way. And um, I, I don't know. To me, they. If I I'm really like them. Kind of, yeah. If I'm feeling kind of sad or whatever, they just sort of put me in a good place. But you wouldn't call them cozy. I mean, she's got no, some no. really good plots. Um, and the characters, I was just saying to everybody a little bit ago, and I think Stacy agreed with me, that they don't, they, they speak more plain spoken. Like, they'll say things like, that worked out real well. But they're not really southern. Oh, uh-huh. it, it's more like how people would talk. Like how I yeah. would say, hey, where's my coat at? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just how people actually talk. <laughs> yes, when your, like, dialogue isn't being written out for you. I mean, I don't want to, you know, boast about my lack of grammatical ability, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, you about who, that like, one. work for the university, like, right? grammar, you know. Yeah. Right, and but I don't have is- to do grammar there. No. And who else is excited about Little Women's latest? Me! Yes. Christmas! Yes. So I, I'm a sucker for all the Little Women adaptations. I think I've seen every one. So I'm excited to see what this one's like. There's also the Little Women um, kind of retelling. By yes! That's Megan Joe coming out, yes, in December. All right. So let's actually then discuss some things that we <laughs> picked for this episode. Maybe like, it was you know, hard to pick. There were so many. There are a lot. I know. We're going to have to do another episode like this. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we will. So I'm going to start us off, followed by Stacy, then Brooke and Sarah will finish off the round. So normally when we do these episodes, um, we try to kind of – keep things current, um, but we, we didn't do that this time, and sometimes that's okay. So my first book, um, <laughs> and this is not, like, the oldest book that is, um, like, on this episode, but my first book came out in 1987, and it is Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. And I fell in love with Fanny Flagg when I was in college, and I read Standing in the Rainbow and Welcome to the World, Baby Girl. And she has this way of writing these stories that bring the American South to life in a really exquisite way. And this one I especially like because there are lesbians in it. And I am a big fan of lesbian-themed novels, especially, you know, back when, like, it wasn't necessarily cool to write LBGT novels. So I applaud Fanny Flagg for this. Um, But the story centers around um, a small cafe in the town of Whistle Stop, Alabama. And we are introduced to Imogene, who is called Iggy, and Ruth, who is her dear friend, who later you end up learning, like, is her her partner. Um, And it's not a spoiler to say that, like, if you read the the blurb at the back of the book, it will, it will tell you. Um, and it's told in these little kind of vignettes where first you are hearing an elderly woman named Evelyn recounting her life. I'm sorry, an elderly woman named Mrs. Threadgood recounting <laughs> her story to a woman named M- Evelyn Couch. And they're just kind of talking and sharing their, you know, the differences in their lives. Like, um, 
Mrs. Threadgood is in her 80s and Evelyn's in her 40s. And so they're just kind of talking about like the ways in which their lives are similar and the ways in which they're different. We then travel back in time to like the 1920s and 30s in Alabama. And we become familiar with Iggy and Ruth who run the Whistle Stop Cafe. And you see like all these scandals that kind of occur in this small town. Um, you see just the ways in which people form friendships and fall in love. It's one of those just really nice, like slice of life books that is full of a ton of wit and charm that I like, I just wasn't sure, you know, things that were written like back in the eighties, I don't necessarily always love them. Um, like I really love some of the like 1980s romances, but other things <laughs> like I'm not as much a fan of. So I wasn't sure how this was going to be. And um, I'm about, I don't know, a third of the way through it now. And I'm just loving it so, so much. Fanny Flagg has such a distinctive writing voice. And everything I know about this movie um, just makes me happy. I've actually never seen it, although I should. Oh, oh it's, it's really so good. good. Yes, it, it's just, it's an amazing story and I, I don't know why I've waited this long to read it or see was it was it Kathy Bates in the movie who played um uh is it Evelyn Couch is that her name yeah the one in her 40s okay can I just say my favorite line from that movie it won't give anything away yes so she's like you know kind of a if I remember correctly it's been a long time since I've seen the movie but kind of downtrodden and yeah Evelyn Couch is and um She's kind of getting into the the elderly woman's recounting of the people's lives, and she's so into it and just, you know, really inspired by them. And she goes, like, to the mall or somewhere with a parking lot. And she and these younger girls are after the same parking space. And the younger girls, like, zip in, and they're like, we're younger and faster and more beautiful. Like, they were really snotty. And so they get out of their car and they're walking away and she takes her car and starts smashing it into their car over and over. And she goes, you may be younger and more beautiful, but I'm older and have better insurance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a really cool part of the movie. Do you remember that, Stacey? I, I can't say as I do. Um, but now that you say it, I kind of want to watch it just for that part. That's like the only <laughs> thing. I mean, that's the main thing about the movie I remember. I guess it was very impactful when I was 13 or however old I was. There's just so much like heart and, and charm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I have never, ever seen it, and I should. There's just like so much heart and charm in, in flags, like recounting of like this kind of American history and it has such a strong sense of place. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. So if you are like me and you've never read this, um, you, you really should, especially if you're looking for like an LBGT themed story that was written kind of before that was like in vogue. Um, so it's fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe and it's by Fanny flagg. I, was trying to decide if I wanted to do this episode. And then I thought to myself, three of my most favorite things have been adapted into movies and musicals and the like. And so I said, I, I must, I must participate. And so the first book I'm going to talk about is uh, one that was very impactful 
for me when I read it the first time, and that's Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. And Jane, I know I love Jane Eyre so much and I love everything about it. So basically, um, if you don't know the story of Jane Eyre, I want to say shame on you, but that sounds so snotty, but shame on you. Like I love Jane (laughs) Eyre so much. I know it's not. (laughs) So Jane Eyre is a young, um, girl at the, at the opening of the story and she's an orphan living with her, um, dreadful aunt. And her awful cousins. And um, they basically all treat her uh, very shabbily. And she is beaten and and locked in the red room. Um, It's the red room, I think. Yeah. And red or blue. Red or blue. I can't remember either. So she's locked in a room of some no, no longer remembered color for hours that she thinks is haunted. And then eventually her aunt sends her to a boarding school called Lowood and Lowood is a very dreadful place um, with much deprivation and illness and just many horrible things. But Jane goes to school there and think of like, think of, I was just going to say like, like an orphanage in like Charles Dickens right. or something. Yes. yes. I was going to say like Oliver Twist or something, but you have to say like, yeah, Stacey, the Lowood School for Girls. Oh, that's right. The Lowood School for Girls. And she did meet a beautiful friend there and some teachers who stood up for her. And she learned more about, um, you know, speaking up for herself and some other things there. So it wasn't a total wash. And um, so she was there until adulthood. And then she started teaching at Lowood. But then she was offered a governess position at Thornfield Hall. Um, taking care of a young girl named Adele, who is French. And her guardian, Mr. Rochester, wasn't around much. So Jane goes to this um, Thornfield Hall. And at first, all seems quite tranquil and lovely, except for there's some weird things that go on. Like there's this very odd woman named Mrs. Poole, who makes Jane (laughs) uncomfortable. And she doesn't trust her. And then, you know, she hears these odd noises coming from the upper floors of the house, and she's not allowed to go there. Shrieks and awful things. And so then Jane meets Mr. Rochester, and basically her very sensible, ordered world is turned upside down by this man. And this story is about their very um, unconventional courtship because it's 19th century. And, you know, the, the master of the house does not fall for the governess. And that's all I'm going to say about Jane Eyre, except for that. Um, it's one of my favorite stories of all time. It's the first time in a book I ever ugly cried when I was 13. I didn't know what to do. I was, like, horrified that I was ugly crying. Um, and I think I've watched every screen adaptation back to the 40s. I mean, I love it. Um, and the Zeffirelli version that came out like in the mid nineties was really beautiful. Um, there was a, a nice one that came out like in, I want to say 2011 that I enjoyed. Um, there's a, a mini that series. That wasn't like, my favorite though. Like the, well, I don't, the more recent one. I don't they know if I watched. Out, yeah. I don't know if you did either, Sarah, but they left out my favorite lines about, I can't say right now about Mr. Rochester's secret. And it's not nearly as impassioned, but I've, I've loved that book for many years. And, Really, you can't go wrong with, I mean, it's a very overblown sort of florid, fabulous, like 19th century romance. Um, But I loved it because 
Jane Eyre was not the beautiful governess. No, she, she was. was. She was what you would call, what she calls herself is like very sensible very and very plain. 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 Yeah, but to Mr. Rochester, she was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the thing I love about Jane is she never, um, she never changed for any man. She stuck to her own sort of morals and her own belief system and ideas. And I think as a governess in that time, I think that would have been very hard to do. Um, so anyway, all the adaptations are great. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Please read it if you haven't. It's amazing. Okay, so the first book that I'm going to talk about is Still Alice by yes. Oh. yes. And this book definitely made me very, um, it made me like, as you said, mess, like very messy cry. Yes, um, it was so. Um, so, um, so this book is about a woman named Alice, and she is a really well-known professor at Harvard University, and she begins, like, getting confused and forgetting things, and this really starts to concern her. She runs into situations where it really, like, scares her, so she ends up going to the doctor and she finds out that she has early onset Alzheimer's. So this book is a lot about how she copes and how the disease progresses and how Alice is able to kind of, I guess in a way, semi-cope, but also at the same time, how she kind of goes through in her mind, like, um, the way that Lisa Genova writes is really neat because you feel like you're in Alice's head and you're seeing, which is also horrifying at the same time, because you're seeing how she's feeling and how she's scared because she can't remember this or that and how she really wonders, like, is she going to lose her sense of self and how, how do you try to protect that ability to, like, how do you how do you protect your sense of self? Because once you don't have that, then kind of who are you? So this book was both a great book, but it was also almost a terrible book because it really, the way that she writes, it gets you right in the head of Alice and you really see what's happening and how she's seriously feeling. So it makes you, I don't know, it's kind of, it, make, it made me like so like, kind of scared almost like yes. wondering makes you wonder like what if this happened to me what would I do like would I be able to handle it as well as she did and then um so the movie itself was really good I thought it was really really well done it's with uh Julianne I think it's Julianna Moore I think she's the one that plays um Alice and yeah, she's so just she, a, she was the greatest actress for it. Like she was. Yeah, scary. she did so so well. She really, really, really did a good job, and I, I actually quite enjoyed the book and uh, quite enjoyed the movie, which is not always the case. Um, so this book is called Still Alice, and it's by Lisa Genova. This book like, devastated me when I was in graduate school. 
that is one that's been on my radar, this book, for a long time. Oh. And I've been afraid to read it because I, I like, you know, I like my happily ever after endings. And I am positive a, a book about early onset Alzheimer's, there's not going to be like a traditional sort of happy ending that makes you feel sunshine no. and rainbows. It's um, definitely not happy. <laughs> but it, I think but it, it also makes you think. But I've and heard it makes, it's a really beautiful yeah. book, though. I mean, because it, is. Of, it really yeah. is. So I, I thought it was anything really she neat. writes. Yeah, this was actually does, her debut, if I'm not incorrect. Yeah, it's like anything and she, she does, writes is so stellar. And she's a neuro, I think a neuroscientist. Yes, I think she's a neuroscientist, and she studied at Harvard. So you can really see that she knows what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. So the first book to movie uh, book that I'm going to talk about tonight is one that I know that either Stacy or I have actually talked about on a previous podcast episode because we adore Jennifer Weiner and her writing so much. Yes, but yes. Um, this book is called In Her Sisters Shoes. episode, I think. Yeah, I think oh, it was yeah. the Sisters mm -hmm. episode. And, and this this book has so many different aspects to it and things you can unpack and different plots to unravel that I feel like it's worth reading it several times. And I felt like the movie was very well done. It did leave out a whole plot, but the acting was really good. And I felt that it was one of the better book to movie uh, adaptations yeah, yeah. that I've, I've seen. So In Her Shoes is a book about two sisters. Rose is the older sister and she's kind of a driven attorney and she's a more curvy girl. Let's say she struggled with weight her whole life and she had a not very kind um, stepmother when she was going through her most awkward time of life. And um, she was, she was never made to feel beautiful and she just always has felt frumpy and unattractive and fat. Her younger sister is named Maggie and Maggie is physically everything that Rose isn't. She's very slim. She is catches everybody's eye. She's charming, just draws everybody in. But Maggie does not feel that she has her life together. She actually has some pretty significant learning disabilities. And she struggles um, with reading. And she also struggles just with um, basically keeping her life on track. So these two sisters live in Philadelphia. And they have a deep, deep love for each other. But they are kind of at odds for a lot of the book and um, they, they struggle to see eye to eye and woven through the book are their, it's like a, it's, it's, it's their quest it's or like their struggle. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, but to become the people that, that are the right fits for them. Cause neither of them are really right in their skins. And, as they are struggling to figure out what kind of people they are really meant to be, 
the book is telling in flashbacks stories of their lives as children um, with a mom who had pretty significant mental illness. Although when they were children, they didn't realize that she was ill. They just thought she was like really fun and um, kind of how it shaped their lives. Um, I don't want to give too much of the story away because it's, well, they find out a secret. And yes. They, they, yeah. They find out, they find out about um, someone in their family. They don't know about they, they, that they didn't know about for a long time. And they find out some other family information they didn't know. And it's how do they work through it? Um, they kind of lose their way with each other, and then they have to build their way back to each other. And along the way, um, one of them finds love. And they also both discover kind of what their life path should be. And it is just one of the best written. It's like humor there's humor, there's ugly crying, there are the most amazing senior citizens. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, just some, and some just beautiful, it's just such a beautiful book. And I felt like even though the movie left out a major plot, it was a very well done movie. The acting was fabulous. I just, I really can't say enough about In Her Shoes. I, it was, it's, it's still one of my favorite movies. Yep, and, me too. Um, it's actually, um, in Florida, when we go with our family every year, my aunt actually owns it at her condo on DVD. <laughs> but I mean, every year, at least one night, all of the girls, especially, but some of the guys in my family too, but we all just kind of flop around with these big cups of decaf and tea and watch in her shoes every year. So I was trying to decide between uh, the other two books that I had chosen and Sarah and Stacy kind of spoke about like family secrets in in her shoes. So I'm going to jump on the like family secrets bandwagon here for a minute. So the world kind of fell in love with Gillian Flynn when Gone Girl came out back in like oh. 2012. I love that book and movie. I I do too. But what a lot of people didn't know was that she had written two books before Gone Girl. And her debut novel is called Sharp Objects. And it's kind of like the, I don't know, like the like the grandmother of the unreliable narrator kind of creepy, twisty psychological thriller that I love so much these days. So this was written in 2006. And I can kind of see like how it has influenced this particular style of writing. Um, so this was adapted, I believe, by HBO, and I think it's, it was turned into a mini-series. I have been afraid to watch it because I love this book so much, <laughs> and I am afraid that the, the series like, just can't, can't equal it. But this is the story of Camille, and Camille is a journalist in Chicago, and she sent back to her hometown, which is this very small town in Missouri, where two girls have gone missing and been found dead in the course of like nine months. Oh, yikes. Yes. So <laughs> Camille goes back home very unwillingly because a lot of not great things happened to Camille in her hometown when she was growing up. Um, and so she's not really thrilled to go back. And she did 
does because she kind of has to for her job. And so not only is she trying to figure out who, um, who killed these girls, but she also wants to know the truth about the death of her own sister like 20 years ago. So she's kind of torn between like this mystery of the past and now this mystery of the present. And she's trying to deal with some really strained relationships that she has with her mother. Um, she has a younger sister who was born when Camille was in college and they don't really have a relationship. So she's trying to kind of just figure out her place like in her family. And it is not a great family. Um, this is a dark, dark book. I read it for the first time, like in 2007, and I read it again for this episode because there was so much about it that I wanted to make sure like everything was kind of fresh in my mind before I talked about it. And it's just a dark, twisty book. I read it um, when we were having a snowstorm here uh, <laughs> on Sunday night into Monday. And it was just the perfect, like, scary book for this kind of, of wintry weather. But if self-harm is something that you don't want to read about, um, I, don't, I don't recommend this book. It's Camille has carved words into almost every inch of her skin. Um, and she, she just does all, all kinds of, like, not great things to herself and she's not the only one so if you want something you know with a character who is a little sunnier happier um, sharp objects probably isn't for you but it is truly a masterpiece of like thriller greatness if that's a genre that you love um, I've heard good things about the adaptation like I said I'm afraid of it um, I might get really brave one day and watch it but so far that time has not come so this is Sharp Objects, and it's the debut novel by Jillian Flynn. And I wish more people knew it and, you know, weren't, um, like, just familiar with her because of Gone Girl. So if you love Gone Girl, like, go go back and find Sharp Objects. It's I, really, I really enjoyed it. I did. Yes. I enjoyed it. I liked it and her other one that I can't remember the name of. Dark. Oh, Dark Places. Yeah, Dark Places. I like that one too. I liked all yeah, three. That like really messed with me. She's writing a new <laughs> book, but I don't know when it's coming. I can't wait. She's been, she's, she's not been writing for long. Like she needs to, she needs to hurry up. <laughs> Daisy, I'm guessing you don't have like a twisty, thrillery book for us. Because that's not your style. Heavens, no. I was really happy for you that you enjoyed that so much. And I was like cringing the whole time you were talking about that book. Going, A, I could not read that. B, I watched Gone Girl and it was not something I enjoyed. And C, just nothing about oh. that sounds like it would work for me. <laughs> so, oh, Gone Girl. You know, my, yes. my next book may not be a thriller, but... It is certainly a very special book to me, and it has been adapted in many, many ways since I it was written it back. Well, you might know what it is, but there's two that I'm talking about, both of which have been adapted in many ways. But what I'm going to talk about right now is my beloved Anne of Green Gables. Yes, and, uh, yes, yes. 
And there are men, and that's by um, Ellen Montgomery. And um, it came out a good hundred years ago. I think it was like 1910 or 1911, I think, when it came out. And it is about, um, it takes place on Prince Edward Island in Canada. And it is about a young orphan girl. I guess I have this orphan theme, I guess. I know. Um, Anna Freen Gables is everything. I know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So Anne is, is an orphan and she has not had a lot of love in her life. Um, She's bounced from home to home where she takes care of other people's children. And when there's not a place for her, then she goes to different like um, orphan homes. Um, and Anne, it has a very vivid imagination and um, she's very lovely and a little awkward, if you want my opinion, because she just sort of says what she thinks. Um, so, so dramatic. Very she dramatic. Um, so Anne um, finds out that she is going to be adopted by um, a brother and sister. And she's very excited about this, but what she does not realize is that Marilla Cuthbert, um, the sister, assumed that they were going to be adopting a boy. And when her brother Matthew, who is the most lovely man in the entire beautiful, history, gentle, yes. kind, yep. awkward, when he shy. gets yes, and when he gets to the train station and discovers Anne, he cannot turn her away because they, from moment one, are kindred spirits. So this book is all about Anne and how she comes to the small town of Avonlea and how she tries to assimilate into the very sort of predictable, sort of slow-paced way of life with her very um, dramatic imagination and sort of like hurricane personality and whirlwind of a person. And it's how she meets friends and, and finds love and eventually acceptance and it is the most beautiful book in the history of all my life. Yes. And there are many, many adaptations. Um, but only one that matters. Well, the, the, most yeah. recent, the most recent was this show on Netflix called Anne with an E. And it was in the middle awful. of the second episode, no. I turned it off and boycotted. So, yes, um, no. The, it the was most not. beautiful, right. The most beautiful, I, beautiful adaptation is um, one that was done in like 1984, five. 85. Um, with Megan Fallows, who plays Anne, Megan Fallows. And it was a, it was a mini series and it is gorgeous and fabulous. And my family, my entire family, including the men in my family, will sit down every couple years and watch the entire thing together. The entire thing. Entire thing. And it's just the most beautiful thing. And I don't want to give it, I, I, you know, I, I assume that everyone has read this book, but in case my assumption is wrong, I don't want to give up any of the gem that is this book. But I will say... My favorite thing is just the way that she speaks. And just this weekend, I said, <laughs> I'm in the depths of despair. And that is one of her lines. But then she also has beautiful things about bosom friends and kindred spirits. And uh, please, everyone read Anne of Green Gables by Ellen and Montgomery. If you think that because you're an adult and it's technically a like young adult children's book, if you think you're too good for it, you oh, are no. not. You are not. It is so beautiful. There is, it is so much more than like a children's story. So the next book that I'm going to talk about is Marley and Me. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> By John Grogan. 
And I know it's probably a book that everyone who likes dogs or knows anything about dogs has read. And it's a book that it's a, probably a movie that a lot of people have seen as well, but I kind of had to talk about it because, well, I love dogs. And it's a book that even though some of the reviewers uh, that I read on Goodreads were like insulting the way that the family dealt with the dog and stuff, it really, the book itself really resonated with me because I've been through those, some of those situations and I could see my dog doing some of those things. So for me, I was like, I've had dogs for over 20 years and I could still see that happening to me, even though I'm not a new dog person. So this book is about a couple and their names are John and Jenny. And they are, they've got like, they're have, are recently married and they decide that they're going to get a dog. And neither of them have really had dogs and not really had any dog experience. And, well, they learn very quickly that <laughs> getting a dog, getting a puppy in, in, in specific is not an easy thing to do. So they get a yellow lab and this yellow lab they name Marley. And Marley is a bit of a... Awful. <laughs> he's not really awful he's just a puppy like I so a lot of people see the way they describe it as being like an awful puppy like he gets he gets kicked out of obedience class and he um he tears up their couch or he jumps through their screen door he like takes them like he's given tranquilizers by the vet and the vet says don't be afraid to use them and like for me I just feel like for me, I feel like these are all just dog things that people just need to let it go through, that it's going to, it's going to resolve itself. And so for me, I just, I really, really loved the book because it made me, it made me laugh. Um, at the end, it didn't really make me laugh too much. Like I can't <sighs> read it. I, I, I can't really read it anymore. Like, yeah, right. but um, definitely the book itself, like the more I think about it, like where they like, come home and there's feathers all over their house from him shaking a pillow <laughs> to death. Like I could totally see one of my puppies doing that one day, but thankfully I create them <laughs> when I'm not <laughs> home because I don't really want that happening, but like I could totally see it happening. And it was just a great <sighs> book. Like it was such a hilarious book, but it was also a very like realistic book. But don't so you really love don't you love Brooke how like, and, and this is my, this is like a thing for me, like with, with having dogs. So that dog starts off as a puppy with them. They're a young yep. couple. And then that, as that dog grows, like it their grows, family grow changes. Yes. Yep. And they have kids and this dog is yep. with them through like so many rites of passage and in their I lives. I think the biggest thing that he really teaches them is unconditional love. So no matter yes. what he does, and no matter how what they how they react to what he does, he always comes back and just loves them for just being them and being his people. Do you guys um, want to switch gears and instead of talking about gorgeous yellow labs with hearts of gold and lots of shenanigans up their sleeve, why don't we talk about a book that might make you almost want to pee your pants from terror? 
Oh, yes, Here. I love oh. those. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Dr. Sleep, everybody, Yay. by Stephen King, just yes. came out as a movie, and I'm waiting for the twin to come home and watch it with me. <clears throat> Amen. When so, will this occur? Hopefully very soon, within the next week. Um, okay. I'm nervous. They have to have the right actors. Um, I, I, I'm nervous. I don't know. I don't know what the reviews are, but... Dr. Sleep was an amazing book. And I feel like I actually, I feel like a couple of these books I've actually talked about in another episode. So I apologize. But Dr. Sleep was, I actually read The Shining because Dr. Sleep is the sequel to The Shining. And I read it so that I could read Dr. Sleep. And I was terrified reading both books for different reasons. But Dr. Sleep is about Danny, the little boy in The Shining who's all grown up and Danny has had kind of a hard life. Um, he has struggled with drugs. He struggled with finding the right job. He just, life has been hard, but then Danny kind of falls into, um, working at a hospice and somehow he can help people when it's time for them to die. He makes it peaceful for them. And I don't want to talk too much about that. But while Danny is doing his thing at the hospice, there is a really freaky, creepy group of people. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of what they call themselves right now. They're kind of like these nomadic gypsies, like the, if you the saw them. True not. Oh, the true not. That's right. Isn't that what they call themselves? The true not? Yes. I think so. Yes, the true not. And like they live like in these like RVs and like very gypsy like people and they travel about and they subsist and survive for years upon years and they never seem to age because somehow they live on the pain and the essence of people. Oh, and they, um, We'll just say there's going to be a showdown that involves Danny, that involves these, the true knot, and that involves a little girl um, who is a really cool part of this story and some other really great characters. And I am not always a Stephen King fan <laughs> because he, um, he oh, is – what? I was going to make fun of you, but then I decided not to. Oh, you can make fun of me. Oh, I can't read Stephen King because he's never that great to the babies. He, children are harmed in the writing of his stories. Yes, children are harmed in, in several of the writings of his books. Um, and so um, I'm actually a little nervous to see how they do the movie. But um, the, it, it is so great. And so um, if you've read The Shining and then you read Dr. Sleep, um, I, I had the, the, the good fortune – or the stupidity to read them back to back. And so Stephen King really weaves in some cool things from the shining and little things into Dr. Sleep. So he makes it very relevant if you've read the shining and then you read Dr. Sleep. And I hope the movie keeps some of these elements. Do you know what I'm talking about Stace? I do. I do. I loved, it's a great book. Um, a lot of times, um, because the books are so epic in scope and long, um, Stephen King movies don't often they do don't the books do it justice. justice. 
but the previews look good. I saw the previews. I've watched a couple trailers, so I'm hopeful oh, you did? that. Yeah, I'm hopeful they got this right. Check back. We'll tell you. Yep. At some other point, if we approved of the movie version adaptation of Doctor Sleep by Stephen King. So my next pick is another series of books. Um, this is the Dublin Murder Squad series by Tana French. It has been adapted by Stars. So the network that brought us Outlander is also bringing Ooh. us an adaptation of this series, which they are just calling Dublin Murder. And it looks like they are focusing on primarily the first book with maybe a little bit of the second thrown in. I don't know then what they'll do with the other five, four, four. So these are police procedurals that take place in Dublin. The first book is called In the Woods. It is not my favorite. The second book <laughs> is called The Likeness, and I love it. But I can't really talk about The Likeness because that's not like the uh, emphasis of the series. So In the Woods is the story of a detective named Rob and when he was a young boy, like 10 or 11 years old, he and his two best friends, Sarah, you probably don't want to listen, um, went into the woods near their house. And they were missing. They, they didn't come back. Many hours later, Rob was found clinging to a tree and unable to remember what had happened to him and to his friends and his friends were not found. So then we fast forward to Rob's adulthood and he has somehow, and I'm not fully sure how he was able to do this, managed to become a police officer <laughs> and he's working um, as a homicide detective now. And he and his partner, whose name is Cassie, are summoned to the scene of a murder um, in an archaeological dig in the woods near where Rob and his friends suffered whatever it was that they suffered. So he is trying to solve this murder. And similarly to like what was going on in Sharp Objects, he's kind of torn between the past and the present as he's like trying to kind of keep it together. He doesn't want his colleagues and his superiors to know that he has a connection to this place, that this is a place that he you know, experienced like some personal trauma. Um, so we get to see him solve the mystery. You get to see a lot of the police work, um, which I really enjoyed. But you also get to see kind of Rob as a character. And as he's trying really hard to come to terms with this terrible thing that happened to him when he was a child, and how is he going to kind of cope with it in a way that doesn't utterly destroy him? Um, Tana French has this knack for like putting her characters into horrible positions and having them, you know, have to power through. Um, Cassie is one of my favorite fictional characters and her book the likeness um, is as i said my favorite in this series so i hope that they kind of will build on it and allow her to take her kind of center stage um part in in the series the thing that she that tana french does is like you'll have 
your main character in the first book, and then you have kind of a supporting character who becomes the main character of the second book. And then in the third book, you have another supporting character. And so you kind of get to know this whole cast of the Dublin murder squad detectives. Um, I like these a lot. In fact, I wish she would go back to them. She wrote a standalone last year and it was dreadful. Um, I kind of uh, don't like to go like on the record saying that I hate a ton of French book, but <laughs> yes, these are, are excellent. Um, the likeness is like super long. It's like 25 hours long in audio and it just like flies by. So when she's writing well, um, her, her long books are amazing. So this is In the Woods and it's Dublin Murder Squad book one by Tana French. You can read it or you can be braver than I am and watch it on stars. The next book I'm going to talk about, Sarah loved it first and best and I am just Right. I am just like sludge <laughs> on the bottom of her shoe when it comes to this book. But somehow I get to talk about it. And it is The Phantom of the Opera. No, it's oh, The Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Delete. It's been a really long podcast. Um, <laughs> so the next book is The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston LaRue. And this book is the number one love of my life, but it was the love of Sarah's life before it was the love of my Thank life. You. So, Thank yes. you. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you. <laughs> I was swayed by 1990s pop music, and she was able to be strong enough in her convictions at age 12 that she didn't care, and she loved it first. Was that Always. good enough? Because yes, we my heart, had... that's good. Okay. Um, my heart has and... never taken a different path. It has stayed true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so The Phantom of the Opera um, by Gaston LaRue is, uh, it takes place in Paris um, at the end of the 19th century at the Paris Opera. And, oh. well, yes, the, the Paris <laughs> Opera House, the, the Garnier. <laughs> and... So this book uh, focuses, uh, centers around a very, uh, very young, um, naive, innocent singer um, by the name of Christine Daae. And Christine is convinced that um, she is being taught to sing by the angel of music sent um, from heaven by her dead father to tutor her. So that just shows you how naive she is. And in this book, we have a love triangle between the handsome young Vicarole de Chagny. Barsh. Puke. <laughs> and the Phantom of the Opera, who is this very shadowy personage who lives deep below the Paris Opera House in the fifth cellar. In the and bowels of the Opera In the bowels house. of the Opera House. And he is a very disfigured man who um, has had a wretched existence, um, but is very intelligent. He does all these amazing things. He's an architect. He's a musician. He's, he's everything. Um, a, a murderer, you know, so, and he is deeply in love with Christine and he doesn't want her. to be a murderer. No. So this book is all about, um, so basically how this phantom basically is controlling the opera house, the managers, all the singers. Um, he is the one who sort of runs the show and, but, but at the, little notes. 
Indeed, yes. I love the notes. But at I the heart too. of this, the, the part I love most about this book is that it's about somebody who, despite all the wretched things that happened to, this, to him in his life, he just wants to be loved. He just wants to be like everyone else. He wants to be able to take his wife out on Sundays for a walk. And so this book is the most lovely thing in my life. And it's also very horrible. Um, and there have been many, many adaptations of it um, since back in 1925 when there was a silent movie done with Lon Chaney. And Sarah and I, in our youth, tried to watch the silent movie with a friend who, because, you know, we're blind, right? And so, Totally blind people trying to watch a silent movie. It was right. quite epic. And it was like, and so I had this girl going, the foyer of the opera house, Raoul, Christine, how are you doing? Or whatever. And like trying to read <laughs> us the entire, like, oh you know, God. script. And so we got through about half an hour. We're like, screw this nonsense. But anyway, so there's, there have been many adaptations of this from the absurd to the, um, tragic and the fabulous. Of course, there's the musical, which is my favorite thing on the planet. Um, yes. And then that musical was also made into the 2004 Phantom movie. That is very sentimental to me, even with its bad singing and everything else. Um, why do movie musicals have to have bad singing? I don't know. I I need to know. I don't have a good answer, but there was a really beautiful mini series that was done um, oh, based on yes. like the Yeston and Coppet, I think that's how you say their names, but I can't remember, but version of this, uh, of Phantom back in like 1990. And it was delightful. And it was really one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. So, um, you know, the, the Phantom of the Opera, there's been many incarnations of it, but, um, you know, I, and you can choose which one you would like um, to watch. And just, I don't know, the story is just tragic and beautiful and kind of strange and the love of my life. So The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston LaRue. You can read it, but if you want to, you can just watch one of the movies and that'll basically tell you everything you need to know. So the last book that I'm going to talk about tonight is The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. And I absolutely love his books. And so far I've loved the movies that have been made out of his books. So this book starts out with an older with an elderly man and he is in a long-term care home and he goes into the room of an elderly woman and he sits down on the chair on a chair and he just begins reading from an old leather bound book and so as he's reading he's reading the story of Noah and Ali so Ali is kind of a rich upper class um, kind of socialite, I guess. And Noah is, I guess, more kind of a little bit more working class or so. I don't really like talking about classes, but it's the (laughs) easiest way of talking about it. And he, um, Noah has just returned from the war and he is renovating a house. And while he's doing this, he's thinking about a girl that he had met about, I don't know, a decade or so previous. And her name was Allie. Well, while he's working on this house, this girl shows up and it's Allie. And he finds, he starts to get to know her and he learns that she's getting married and that she's going to be marrying this uh, really rich, um, well-known man in the community. 
And as they kind of get to know each other a little bit more, he realizes that she's not really happy in her relationship. So as things progress, Ellie must decide if she's going to get married. And if she's not, like, what is she going to do? Because by kind of leaving this whole relationship, she could be kind of ruining her status, I guess, in the community. So while this is all going, so um, this older man is reading this to this older woman. And this story is just a story of love and a story of kind of like, I guess, love overcoming all. And this it's the story that you really want your life to be, or at least most people want their lives to be. And it's the story of kind of trouble, like a, lot of, like a rough times kind of being overcome. And it's just a story of great dedication. And I'm not going to tell you much more and how it all ties together, but it's um, it's The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. And the movie itself was actually really, really well done. Um, the Noah is played by Ryan Gosling. Um, and I'm not, I can't remember who plays the woman, Allie, but she's also a pretty well-known Isn't it Mandy actress. Moore? No, no, that's in a no, watch. No, no, that's a watch. Yeah, oh, okay. Oh, I'm trying to remember who it is. It's like, she's like, I... I can't believe I don't, I can't remember, but it was really, really, really well done. And for the most part, only the ending was changed in the movie a little bit, but only a little bit, not a lot. So unless you've read the book, you would never even notice that there was a difference. And even after reading the book, the difference isn't that big of a deal. So I definitely recommend them both. Excellent. Some people may think my final choice tonight is a cliche, but no. I absolutely cannot ever think of talking about <clears throat> movie adaptations of books without talking about the one, the amazing, the classic Gone with the Wind. La da, 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 da. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Yes. So thank you, Stacey, for the musical rendition. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell. And yes. the first time, I'll never forget, the first time I watched this movie, I was 13. And it made such a huge impact on me and on my life. I mean, I did a report in my English class about Vivian Lee, who plays Scarlett O'Hara. And I... um I read like a whole like biography of her. I like was just, I couldn't get enough gone with the wind information and how the movie was made and all the backstory. And so we watched gone that cool the, documentary. Remember? Yes. That that, yeah, it was really And great. Butterfly McQueen was in it. Yep. Yep. Um, Butterfly McQueen who plays Prissy. Um, Prissy. You know, I don't think I ever knew her name. Oh, she was really cool. Um, and it talks actually about the scene where she says, I don't know nothing about fucking babies. And Scarlett like smacks the hell out of her, out of prison. Yeah. Yes. And they describe how they do that because Vivian Lee was actually really smacking her. And Butterfly McQueen was like, 
if she does that again, I, I'm, this, this hurts. Like she, she can't keep doing that. And it was just like a really interesting, but, um, so gone with the wind. I don't even know why I'm telling the story because I can't imagine anyone who listens to our podcast and loves books, not knowing, but it is the story of Scarlett O'Hara, a young Southern belle. And the story opens at the start, uh, right before the start of the civil war. And Scarlett is everything pampered, spoiled, never been told no in her life, effervescent, joyful girl. She's 16, and her the whole world is her oyster. What she wants, she gets. And everybody wants to be in her orbit. And she's in love with a boy, a neighbor man or boy. And nope, she toast. finds out, yes, yes. But she <laughs> finds out in the beginning of the book that he is going to be married to his cousin, Melanie. And she is just not going to have that. Ashley must belong to her. And so she goes to, I do too. I adore (laughs) Melanie. So she goes to um, this big party at, at 12 Oaks, which is where Ashley lives. And she's going to get him alone and she's going to tell him how she feels about him. And she's just going to buy darn, she's going to just make it happen. He's going to be with her. So she confesses her love and he like kind of lovingly kind of, Oh, we can't be together. Oh, la, ha, oh. but I'll never forget you. And I will always love you. And, and kind of like floats away. And then she gets pissed cause she's Scarlett O'Hara and she whips a vase. And then sitting up from the couch is this handsome older man. And, um, it's, uh, Rhett Butler. Rhett Butler. And so the story of Gone with the Wind is the story of Scarlett and Rhett as they go through the Civil War and kind of like the rebuilding process afterwards and how Scarlett goes from this pampered, spoiled brat, never been told no, you know, kept from anything negative to somebody who saves her family and somebody who protects the people in her care and somebody who will do anything so that her family will never go hungry. And it is just, I can't even tell you, I I read the book when I was 13 from cover to cover after I watched this movie. And was I old enough to understand some of it? Probably not, but I, I loved every minute of it. And I just feel like you just cannot have an episode like this and not talk about the beauty that's gone with the wind. And for a lot of the books that we've talked about, not everyone, but for a lot of them that are kind of like iconic classics, we've talked about how many adaptations have been made. I can't even imagine a a different version of Gone with the Wind. And I will tell you one of my most cool, amazing experiences of my life. Um, My twin and I were in San Francisco visiting our aunt. And they played Gone with the Wind at a theater. And we got oh. to see it, like, at a movie theater. And, like, that music, you know, that would be the best. And it, like, comes, and I just, like, teared up. Teared up. I know Stacy did, too. And <laughs> yeah. it was amazing. I mean, it was four hours, and you would think, like, sitting there for four hours oh. and being all cramped. And we had oh. our guide dogs at our feet, so you would think we'd be all squished up and uncomfortable. Oh, my God. It, like, flew by. So Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell is arguably the best, well, not arguably in my opinion, but the best. No, it is the best. Movie. And 
just the most amazing bit of everything, acting, everything I have ever There's seen. like nothing that compares. My grandpa no. was telling me he um, grew up in Tennessee and he was born in 1932. And he said that he remembers when that, um, like when Gone with the Wind was playing, oh, wow. like when it was first, you know, in town and how they were like all these, you know, it was one of the first like big, you know, theater marquees um, advertising it. It's amazing. It is amazing. All right. So this brings us to the end of the page to screen episode. Thank you to Sarah, Stacy, and Brooke for chatting with me tonight about books that were made into movies or TV shows or musicals or <laughs> some combination of the three. <laughs> um, thanks, of course, to Christine for all of the editing that she will have to do for this episode before you can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks right. to all of you who... Join us each week for our bookish discussions. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness and some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody. <laughs>